our first podcast. Is it like a nickname where you can't give yourself? A I think tag so. One? I think so. Nah. All right. So welcome. This is Bad Movies and Beer, a podcast. Uh, I'm Nolan. <laughs> a podcast is going to be the tagline. Bad Movies and Beer <laughs> colon a, a podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, you're listening to us right now, so you assumed and knew this. Yeah. But, uh, you did not accidentally. No, fuck, I don't even know what to say with this. This is stupid. <laughs> so once again, I'm Nolan, and this is... I'm Cooper, and uh, what a way to kick things off with Commando, <laughs> the 80s movie masterpiece, seminal action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, 1985. I can think of no better movie for our debut podcast. What we're doing here, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, well, it is the first podcast. Yes, everybody. everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We are watching bad movies, not movies that are actually bad, but movies that are like hilariously bad. The idea is we are trying to find the best bad movies, movies that are so bad they're good and ones that are funny to watch. We're going to watch them. We're going to laugh about them. We're going to talk about what makes them ridiculous. And at the end, we're going to rate them on a scale of one to 10, but two times, one for how bad, one for how enjoyable. And if any movie can produce that magical score of 20, a perfect 10 for how bad and how enjoyable that movie will go in the Bad Movies and Beer Hall of Fame. Beautiful. Uh, so we started off with Commando. And we're starting off right now with some delicious beer. Steam oh. Whistle. We're drinking Steam Whistle Canada's Premium Pilsner. The good beer, folks. Toronto, Ontario. You open that one up or what? Oh, all right, yeah. So the podcast uh, does involve us watching good, bad movies and drinking beer throughout. And we try to choose beers that are sort of thematically connected to something that happens in the movie. Sometimes it's the title, sometimes it's an event that happens, sometimes it's sort of the themes or things that appear there. For those of you who have seen Commando, I'm assuming you know why we're drinking Steam Whistle. You had never seen this movie before. Uh, Yeah, so we determined going into it that I was a newbie. As we started watching it, I clearly remembered pieces of it, but I was definitely surprised by many of the moments throughout, as you will hear as we explore our adventure in Commando together. But it was readily apparent when it happened, you knew, like, this is the reason why we are drinking Steam Whistle today. Oh, oh yeah, and we will get to that for sure as oh, we move incredible. along into It's so incredible. Yeah. We'll mostly talk about the movies, but we'll talk a little about the beer. And I know uh, because we're sort of regionally centered, many of the beers may not be available to you, but uh, hopefully you can enjoy the humor and things that happen along with us drinking them too. And if you're ever in Canada and you find these beers, give them a try, man. Unless we think they're bad, then don't give them a try. Or unless you're like, who the fuck are these guys? Tell me what to drink. This is America. We can drink what we want. <laughs> And I think they have better access to our beer than we do to theirs. So, That's probably true. Uh, they have better think, access to everything than we do, except healthcare. <laughs> except healthcare. This is not a political podcast. So we uh, will not be talking about yeah. Uh, health. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk Commando, man. All right. This is uh, this is uh, God, man. I, like Schwarzenegger. He's just so he's he's. I said this during the when we were watching the movie. He is a once in a generation talent. That he com- really is. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. combination of. Like, I think it's the accent, it's the time period, it's just the one-liners, which I he's mean, got some world-class ones in this movie. His, like, as a physical specimen, no one can p- compare to what he was at that time. Like, the movie starts, or very early on in the movie, so it doesn't start, but sort of it moves into very quickly some shots of just Arnold's biceps. Oh, gratuitous muscle close-ups. Yes, before that, we begin, we actually begin, we open with a... Sort of a montage of uh, random dudes, mostly one guy, 
Bill Duke from the movie Predator, which is my all-time favorite movie, Mac, killing different people in different ways. They shoot a guy down uh, at the corner. He's taking out his garbage. They uh, drive like very slowly, hit a man with minimal run-up in a Cadillac to kill him in a Cadillac dealership. And then they they blow up a man on a boat. But yeah. Or do they? Well, yeah, spoiler, but... They do not. Well, actually, we should this, say... This spoiler, this it, spoiler it, it, gets spoiled yeah. within, like 30, within three I minutes agree. of the movie starting. We should say, though, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, we are going to be talking about the plot as we go oh, through. Oh, yes. This is a spoiler-full podcast. Yes. So I did note, similar to you, it was a lot of kills really quickly. It was like three and under three minutes at the start of the movie, and it was pretty impressive. Oh, and the death toll just goes up from there. It goes way, way up from there. Things escalate very quickly when we get to the the denouement at the end. So Schwarzenegger, opening credits, just him doing dude stuff. He's, you know, carrying a tree and then chopping wood, close-ups of the biceps, triceps, muscles. And then he senses, his his senses for uh, oncoming threats, very strong in this movie. He senses someone sneaking up on him. He peers back at them in the reflection of his sterling silver axe. It's his daughter. And then we get a nice little montage of his idyllic family life. It was a beautiful montage. Oh, ice cream. She smashes him in the face with an ice cream That was a cone. funny moment. Yeah, she he's, smokes him in the nose. He's teaching her karate. Um, there was a hilarious Fe- part. Feeding, feeding a deer? deer? Yes. A deer just wanders up and he's feeding the deer. There was a very tame deer that they fed for quite some time. He taught her to fish. It was like maybe the best Piggyback parenting montage. rides. This idyllic life is shattered when he senses someone else approaching. It's a helicopter. I think he heard it. Hearing is a sense. Last time I checked, <laughs> that is one of the five senses, isn't it? Man? Hearing. You're right. It is, but yeah. it, it wasn't like it was out of the normal. He heard no. a helicopter coming. He did. Oh, wait a second. You know what we should really talk about? Arnold Schwarzenegger is. His, this is how we've met his character, John Matrix, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, Matrix, of course, a traditional Dutch name, I believe. I'm just going to call him Matrix for the remainder of the podcast. Dude, you know what I loved about this was as soon as I heard his his full name. John Matrix, right away, you know, they're not taking this even a little bit seriously. And I mean, they'd already started off with killing several people who you can kind of at this point tell were a part of John Matrix's team. Well, and if, he's yeah. in the military. If you didn't know, that becomes abundantly clear when the general gets out of the plane. General Franklin Kirby, who tells John Matrix that many members of his former unit have been killed. He names three of them, the three that we saw. And uh, John Matrix doesn't know who it is. He's, you know, he's in many enemies around the world for his storied military career. And then the second that General Kirby is in the helicopter and takes off, he leaves two guards behind to help protect Matrix and his family. As soon as the helicopter gets off the ground, dudes come out of the bushes with guns. One of the guards immediately gets it. The other one dies like five seconds later. Those guards were completely useless. It was awesome. Oh, my uh, God. Clearly, John Matrix had smelled them and reacted before. He makes a comment about it being downwind. Oh, yeah. Stay downwind. Uh, you can also, smell them. I also want to mention that um, General Franklin Kirby uh, had told him that he was going to nail those bastards before he goes, but uh, clearly misunderstates uh, or underestimates uh, yeah. their potential as they shoot while the helicopter was taking off. I was just blown away. I was General, like, General Kirby had is amazing. General Kirby had a lot of information. Unfortunately, one of the pieces of information he didn't have was that the guys were already there lurking in the bushes, just waiting for him to leave. So 
So Matrix oh, yeah. sends his daughter, like the love of his life. We don't know about anyone else, right? It's just him and his daughter after that yeah, beautiful no, montage. Yeah, no backstory on what happened to the mom. And we never find out. So I guess Matrix, solo dad, um, living in the mountains somewhere in the United States, um, alone, helicopter comes, and then out of nowhere in the bushes, ambushed by uh, guys in fatigues and AKs, um, he tells her to go hide under her bed as he runs to a woodshed. Most well-stocked woodshed until the end of the it's movie. It's not even a, it's a gun shed. It's not a woodshed. Well, yeah. He goes All to the woodshed. All you see is guns when he opens it up. a giant safe. He puts in a code, pulls some... At least it's in the safe. I mean, I that's think good. I was... Okay, so I, we were taking notes while we watched this movie because we're professionals. But I think the code to the to the gun shed was 13. You <laughs> <laughs> put in like a one and a three that it just opens. I'm like, what? I just about spit all that steam whistle into my microphone. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, 13 is a pretty complicated code. It's tough. And it I, would, I wouldn't think of it. Yeah. Um, so he pulls a bunch of guns out of the woodshed and goes running back into the house. But this all happens so quickly. The helicopter like leaves the ground. The guys are shooting. He goes to the gun shed. By the time he comes out, they've already abducted his daughter. His daughter's in a car. The car is leaving. There's a yeah. dude sitting in his house being like, I think he literally says, mellow out, man. My people got some business with you. And if you want your kid back, then you got to cooperate. Right? Wrong. Just right away. Just the the first one-liner. Dude's just, He's in hot pursuit. Right away chasing after the dudes. However good foresight by these guys they've ripped out like the ignition cables from his truck so the truck won't start john matrix we've already seen him carrying a whole tree so he pushes the truck down a hill jumps in it while it's moving steers the lifeless truck down a hill somehow manages to not hit any trees at all there's also about five times where you can tell by the angle of the truck it clearly should have tipped over but because of editing it just doesn't you see the same shot a few times of like he 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 ends up uh crashing the truck he does not actually manage to smash into them but they get out and abduct him and what he finds out is that one of the men of his that was presumed dead bennett is alive so that whole thing where they faked bennett's death that gets immediately revealed like five minutes after it happens yeah this this was hard and it was funny because it's clear that sort of bennett is his arch nemesis in this movie but like what what was the point what was the point of faking his death they reveal it immediately. The element of surprise is completely gone. No, you're right. I, like, it is baffling. There's no like, point. They wanted to pretend he was dead. If but... it had only been two of the guys that had died and not three, would they have been like, oh, two guys, no big deal. Three makes a pattern. Oh, if Bo Bennett died, well, now we've got to let John Matrix know. It was pretty ridiculous, for sure. And I, I don't know if it was necessary. If they had revealed him maybe closer to the end of the movie rather than You'd right think the that would be... That would have been a, a much like, as a twist plan. Instead yeah. of just a, they, who, the, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, it's the guy who got blown up in that boat. I guess he didn't really get blown up. What a reveal. Anyway, they, uh, the, the former president of a fictitious country called Valverde, which I believe translates to the Green Veil. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, guess I see what you're doing here. It's clearly supposed to be a like Central or South American country. And the, he's white. It's a white guy. Well, yeah. Like I, I started calling him Fake Tan Dan because... Dan Hedaya. Yeah. Shout out. Oh, we should probably make sure he's actually uh, white and not like some version of Latina. Maybe, yeah. But I'll, I'll it, look into it. It did seem for sure in this movie that they were using a lot of heavy stereotypes of Hispanic people. Oh, at least 80% of those Hispanic dudes were actually white guys wearing like very light brown face. And horrible fake mustaches. 
like the entire time. And maybe we'll get more to that as we get closer to the end when they reach that country because it becomes so absurd. Big time. He he is, I'm 99% sure, white also. Okay. I, I've, done, I've, done a, I've done a light Google and I believe he is uh, not, at the very least, like not Latino. So, so why does he make this appearance? He is the former president of Valverde. And he is his government was overthrown, partly thanks to John Matrix's special forces unit. And he now wants to go back into power. So he is going to send John Matrix over to Valverde to murder the new president so he can regain the presidency because the new president will trust John Matrix because John Matrix was the hero of that revolution. So they are sending him in there before he leaves oh, for that plane. All right. There's a pretty important moment, though. They drive him to the airport, and Bennett, the like arch villain, the person who's against him here, like sort of kicks him out of the car. What does he say to Bennett? Oh yeah, this is he. This is I didn't realize it was a thing because I everyone thinks of this line as being from the Terminator franchise. He comes to real close and just says to him, "I'll be back, Bennett." Yeah, what this is about a year after Terminator. It is, yeah, Terminator's eighty four. It's eighty five. Yeah, so. It's interesting. I was really surprised that I, I had forgotten or they'd thrown that in there as a thing. Yeah. And then uh, Bennett responds, John, I'll be ready, John. He will not be ready. Bennett with his uh, shitty Australian accent. Oh, yeah. Completely fake Australian accent. Uh, he's also dressed in the same shirt uh, as Mungo Jerry from his <laughs> famous video. <laughs> <laughs> Mungo Jerry. God yeah, I thought it. it should have been the summertime the with whole the, time oh, we were watching. Every on, time man. he was this on there, the summer was in yeah, my head. Yeah. yeah, I was like people blowing in jugs. And, this is uh, the <laughs> blowing in jugs. This is an important thing, though. We had to just talk about this. This gang, this gang of henchmen that the former president has assembled, is the most like ununiform gang of henchmen in the world. There's four dudes. They are all different sizes, backgrounds, like styles of dress. You've got, you've got. Okay, so Bennett is Bennett is basically an Australian leather daddy. You said you <laughs> listen. Yeah. You said he yeah. reminds you of Freddie Mercury. There's a ton of things on. Like I believe the actor who played Bennett referred to him as like they referred to him as Freddie Mercury on steroids. But Bennett is clearly not on steroids. He was clearly we'll like fat Freddie Mercury. He's not. He's Bennett is not in good shape. He wasn't strong. Oh, like every we'll, time we'll, they would we'll cover try this to, later. Yeah, every yeah, time it, they made to have him size up against Arnold as it was a credible such a joke. threat to yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Never. I was you know. So there's him who is decked out. I think he's wearing like he's wearing like a rope shirt and like a chain necklace and like leather chaps and there's and a horrible mustache yeah there's a black dude in like a very stylish suit that's bill duke from predator there's yeah. a different black guy wearing like a hawaiian shirt and like a bucket hat and then there's sully who is the guy from war the warriors have you ever seen the warriors uh no i haven't Ooh, good movie the thing that bothered me most about him is that he was in his he's in a fucking suit suit yeah. he's a tie that doesn't come to a point it's like a rectangular tie these four human beings you would never find them anywhere on earth together and here they all are i, I mean i guess maybe they're freelancers right but isn't that what happens right like when you are building your own gang right if you were to pull together <laughs> all the henchmen this is would, an equality thing yeah like we you, have to have one of everything you grab yeah. one of the most ridiculous kind of people you can imagine in the world and you pull them together to be your gang i mean this is what i would do you're right you know what i will say for 1984 or 1985 especially the inclusion level is remarkable they're really checking a lot of boxes it's it's it, it makes you feel good in a way that all these different people are coming <laughs> I together. And, I don't know about that. You don't think so? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, and Sully wearing that zoot suit was supposed to be funny, but like incredible. Well, he says to him, you're a funny guy, Sully. 
And that's why I'm going to kill you last. Yeah, that's why I'm going to kill you last. Oh, my God. So John Matrix is escorted on the plane by the large black man with the Hawaiian shirt and the bucket hat. And even before they take off, Matrix immediately kills the dude. Mm-hmm. One quick elbow to the head. He snaps his neck in a very graphic way. Puts a little pillow and blanket on him. Asks the stewardess how long the flight is. 11 hours, which is John Matrix's winner to complete this mission. If the plane lands, they realize not on it. Then the whole thing's up. So he's got to pack this into 11 hours. And uh, don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Yeah, I love that dead tired line. I wrote that down. Too. Oh, man. So, so many good lines in this movie. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So John Matrix escapes the plane by crawling down like into the heart cargo hatch. He jumps this this fuck fucking incredible the stunt work in this movie it's real bad it, it is real bad i think it's the worst part of the movie oh man well i don't know sorry some of the lines and some of the choices they made are horrible but i think the stunt work is the worst part of this film anytime there's a scene what well, so john Matrix goes to jump he's he climbs down onto the landing gear of the plane as the plane is taking off it leaves the ground the whole time you are just like what is he waiting for jump off why are you waiting to jump off the plane's in the ground the plane he, is only accelerating yep. that entire time it's getting faster and faster and faster and i was like thinking to myself how fast is this plane traveling and if someone falls from it how fucking mangled are they going to be? Well, as we will see throughout this movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger is basically indestructible. So he waits, though, until the plane begins to lift off because he knows there is a, a watery patch, kind of like a marsh, where he can jump and land in the water, which makes all the sense in the world until he jumps. And by him, I mean the like bald stuntman who is actually a dummy who just like falls off the yeah. landing gear. They he- drop a garbage replica dummy and it's clearly not real it falls with zero like arms or legs moving into whatever yeah, is that the, swamp the only movement is the wind resistance of the fall calling that causing them to all lift up like in a uniform fashion he lands in the swamp which again it makes sense it's water oh yeah you land in the water you're safe the water is like two feet deep he lands like perfectly horizontal stands up and the water is like up to his knees he would have died immediately that, oh. that like that two feet of water is not going to break his fall enough to stop him from dying. And he was absolutely fine. In fact, his clothes and like his shirt was off as soon as he like hit the ground running and was immediately oh, trying to find a way. To get no out of shortage there. of reasons for John Matrix to take his shirt off in this movie. Now that he has safely landed in the swamp, as far as everyone knows in the plane, the hunt is on. This is it. He's on an 11 hour quest to hunt down the rest of the gang and retrieve his stolen daughter which is exactly what he tries to do. So the first henchman he goes after is the most accessible. It's Sully. Sully, in the course of uh, making sure Matrix is on the plane, spots a particularly attractive flight attendant whose name I'm pretty sure we never learn in the whole movie. Yeah, it was really weird. I thought they would introduce her name because she seems like she becomes a pretty important part. You kind of felt like she was the daughter of one of the Cheech and Chong performers. Oh, yeah, I'm 90% sure she is Tommy Chong's daughter. Her name is Ray Don Chong. And so I continuously called her Lady Cheech throughout the movie. Which is not quite correct. She is, in fact, the daughter of Tommy Chong. We have it confirmed. What's by her name? Ray Dong Chong? Ray Don. Don. Not Dong. <laughs> oh, yeah. I kept getting this wrong. I don't know why. <laughs> Don like the sunrise. Ray, Ray Don, Don Chong. Chong. Okay. Tommy right. Chong's daughter. If her character has a name, I do not know what it is. They never say it. Because realist, let's be honest here. She's only there to kind of move the plot along and be a potential romantic interest. Yeah, she solves a lot of problems and then is like a, I guess, like insinuated romantic interest at the end of the movie. Yeah, so she, so she, he, Sully is trying to basically uh, get his d- 
with Radon Chong. This is Zoot Suit, right? Oh yeah, he's yeah. got his. He's he's hoping to impress her with this rectangle tie. And uh, Schwarzenegger sees this and uses this as his chance to kind of track Sully. So he finds the girl, rips the seat out of her car. We thought he was going to hide. I guess it was just the car was so small that Arnold Schwarzenegger couldn't fit in it if the seat was in there. So he rips the seat out with his bare hands, which is the first of a few impressive. Well, it's got the carrying the tree. Very impressive feats of strength by John Matrix. It took him seconds. Like he literally reached into the car, grabbed the seat and like ripped it. And it's got to be harder to rip out a car seat than that, doesn't it? I would assume so. It's also harder to hold an entire tree, but we're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that's true. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he, he, he uses her to follow Sully. They follow Sully to a mall. He sends her in there to kind of see what Sully's up to. He's buying some passports for the trip. She immediately sells him out. She sees like a mall cop and tells the mall cop that she's been kidnapped. And there's a giant guy out there in a green shirt who's a maniac and trying to abduct her. They send they send all the mall cops, like 30 mall cops that John Matrix quickly like dispenses of. And in the scuffle, Sully notices, notices that John Matrix is there because it's the 80s. I love this. Like he <laughs> yeah. he's he's like, give me a quarter. Give me a quarter. He's a quarter to run to a payphone to yeah, call someone to let them know. It from Matrix Lady isn't Cheech. on the yeah. plane. He, yeah. he has to run to a payphone. What a sign of the times. Just incredible. He runs to the payphone. He gets a quarter, runs to the payphone. But before he can make the phone call, John Matrix, who is just swatting mall cops out of the way. Yeah, he punches two with one punch, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. He knocks it. He punches one whose head like hits the other one and knocks them both out. He runs to the phone booth. And in, in a, another feat of strength, John Matrix is really like Hercules in this movie, I'm realizing, with all the constant feats of strength. He picks up the entire phone booth, the entire phone booth, just rips it out of the wall, flips it over so Sully can't make his phone call. Sully uh, runs away. Matrix is still just like, what, 30, 35 mall cops? How many mall cops does John Matrix it's put a, down It's a movie? giant swarm of mall cops. He's just like knocking them down right, left, and center. Sully has a gun. Shoots it once at him and misses and then doesn't shoot him while he's trying to like tear up this phone booth. Right. This actually makes sense to me, though, because you there's only one man that can kill the Valveria president's job. You can't kill John Matrix because no one else on Earth can do this job. But you made this argument and the rest of the time that Sully's there, though, he's shooting and trying to kill John Matrix, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that I mean, that's the argument for why he doesn't kill him in the phone booth. Why he shoots at him when they're in the car chase they're about to be in makes no sense at all. Yeah, like I'm not, I, I'm not I'm not here trying to defend uh, the the writing of this movie. I'm just saying, in, logically, it makes sense. You shouldn't shoot John Matrix because he's the like, only guy. Yeah, you feel like he's in trouble. But I mean, I guess ripping the phone booth, the entire thing out of the wall, and throwing uh, Sully while in it to the ground uh, does stop the call from happening. So John's okay, right? Like the people don't know he's coming. And then where do they go from here? It's a car chase. So Sully goes to escape. John Matrix, he takes the car they arrived in, which was the flight attendant's car, still unnamed. Oh, sorry. John Matrix first gets hit by Sully's car as he's leaving. He's totally fine because he's John Matrix and invincible. And this is hilarious, too, because at the start of the movie, the second death in the second minute of the movie is a guy who gets, while a car accelerates through a window, completely like like 15 miles an hour. Yeah. But it kills him to like stone dead. And John, John Matrix just gets a Porsche at full speed and he's like pretty <laughs> fine. So. Yeah, he's totally fine. I mean, so yeah. so th- for some reason, Ray Don Chong jumps into the car with Schwarzenegger, even though she was trying to get away from him. And at the time, I'm like, oh, it's because like she needs to become the romantic interest. She ha- The whole reason for her jumping in the car is if she doesn't, we never see her again. And she has to be there. But that isn't actually the reason why. Because they car chase, Sully crashes the car, Schwarzenegger crashes, crashes his car, even though... Even though he promised Sully he was going to kill him last 
He kills him right now. It's pretty hilarious. He's got Sully. He's holding him over the cliff and he's talking to him about the significance of gravity. He also says that you can see I'm holding him with my bad arm, my left arm. Just dangling him over a cliff with one arm. <laughs> remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you... You did! I lied. <laughs> Calls him on it and he's just like, I, I lied. <laughs> Drops him to his death. Yeah, Why not? Beautiful, I lied. He, the also hilarious part in this moment is when uh, Lady Cheech uh, is in the car and she says, are you going to tell me what's going on? No. And, and it's <laughs> amazing. Well. Like no. he, just, he just drops the no. <laughs> and that is the power of Arnold, right? Like all you need is that one word answer. And for some reason, it's funny. He, yeah. he has that singular talent that it, for some reason, him saying it, Something about the face, the accent. He just he, his it's timing funny. is good too. I think yeah. Arnold oh, has really great. good timing, right? Like, I think that's what sort of carries this movie. I think Arnold is what keeps this movie from being a ten bad, right? Like you could, if you put Steven wow, Seagal, spoiler for your well, rating right here. Well, I'm not going there yet, but if we put Steven Seagal <laughs> in Arnold's position right yeah. now, this would well, be a ten a bad. Very, movie. Yeah, very different. So right? uh, Sully, he drops Sully. Because he's found, he doesn't need Sully. He's found a hotel room key, so he knows where where the at least one more henchman is. They need a car though, because he crashed Ray Don Chong's car. So he just uses Sully's Porsche, just flips it over. Yet another feat of strength in the storied career of John Majors. Flips a Porsche over with his bare hands, and they drive away in the Porsche. I mean, I believe Senator uh, Schwarzenegger could flip a Porsche over with one hand. Like, yeah, for sure. 80, 85 Schwarzenegger? Probably. The guy's very strong. Yeah. He's I mean, as you see later, he's got muscles for days. Oh, you saw in the credits, he's got muscles for days. They go to the hotel. That's where the next henchman is located. It's Cook, which was Bill Duke from Predator. We found out he's a Green Beret. So he, he you know, he's cautious. He doesn't just walk in blindly like Sully and get dropped off a cliff. He's kind of aware of what's happening. They get in a fight. He tells him, this Green Beret is going to kick your ass. And John Matrix says, I eat Green Berets for breakfast. I eat Green Beret for breakfast. And they, they start their fight. And it's hilarious because Lady Cheech starts getting upset. She's like, I can't believe how much fucking masculinity is going on. Oh, the, can you believe this macho bullshit or and whatever? She, and yeah. she keeps commenting. Like, These guys eat too much yeah, red meat. Which oh. is hilarious. And they're fighting and they're having a good fight. And then they bust through the wall to the adjoining motel room. And there are two people clearly filming a sex tape, which is hilarious. They needed to get tits. They did. The movie. That was yeah. the, that was the, we got, we know we have this whole movie. We have no nudity. How do we work the nudity in? Let's have them bust through to a hotel room. People having sex. Great. And, and like Mrs. Chong wasn't cool with the nudity. So they're like, okay, we got to bring it in some other way. So I'm fair with that, right? They break into this hotel room. They're still having their Green Beret versus Special Forces or whatever battle. And they break up that sex tape and the two people scream a little bit. They don't do anything. They don't call for help. But I guess like when you have to run to a payphone with a quarter, it takes a lot I longer. mean, the thing is, if you call for help, someone's going to bust in and see you filming that porno. But you invite like, more scrutiny. But an 80s porn is like saved, not on the internet, but saved to a VHS tape. But the point is, people will know you're doing it. If you call for help and someone comes in, they're going to see you there naked. They're going to see the camera. But be, by the time you get a quarter and go to a payphone, you're going to be able to clothe yourself and no one's going to know that it was. I don't, think that, I don't think they wanted help. I think they just wanted them to leave the room. Well, but that's what's like, like, you guys take so this back to your own hotel room. goes back to their own hotel yeah. room and John Matrix like throws off the green beret. Ooh. Yeah. And you have this Impales like. Impales him on an upside down coffee table. Yeah, Good death. Gurgle. Good death. Oh, yeah. And then the blood. But he can't. But the mouth. problem with that is he can't tell them where John Matrix's daughter Jenny is. So they have to search the car. And this is where mm -hmm. this is where the unnamed flight attendant being there 
I thought she was there for romance. She's there to move the plot along because she finds a receipt. Yeah, this is an important receipt. It, it, they got a lot from it. I was looking at the receipt like, what the fuck does this matter? It's, it's, it's where her, she's trained to become a pilot, which is also very important later. It's where her flight instructor buys fuel. She recognizes the place, so she knows exactly where to go. How convenient. So thank she's goodness, a, she's a thank flight goodness attendant. she jumped in that car. And thank goodness for the fine people at Steam Whistle for brewing this delicious beer that we're enjoying. Well, yeah. I, I'm enjoying. Well, I, d- I didn't dislike it. I'm not a huge fan of the Pilsner. And Steam Whistle, uh, Canada's premium Pilsner, was known for making one beer. And even had advertisements for like, we do one thing and we do it well. But guess what? What has Steam Whistle done lately? They've made a pale ale. So we're about to break into that Steam Whistle premium pale ale. And uh, we'll tell you how it is as we approach. I'm a, yeah, I'm not a big pale ale guy. This will be... Oh, I love we'll pale see. ale. So this is going to be good for I'll me. I'll give it a shot. I'm going to a little crack here. Oh, yeah. There it is. So, so they, they follow the receipt and they go to, it, it looks like a basically like a factory or some sort of a, there's tanks, there's mortars, there's all the stuff you'd need to overthrow a country. It's a stupid, creepy warehouse with a it bunch is. of stuff from World War II and Vietnam. It was like, that's what it was to me. It was like a stupid, creepy warehouse with <laughs> World War II and Vietnam stuff. I just got an amazing face from Coop after he had his first sip of the Steam Whistle Pale Ale. It was I'm not, not a pale guy. Yeah, it was not no, a pale <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know what it's also not doing it for me is the unnecessary of this factory there's no there's nothing in there except they they find locations they find compass directions in the location of an island where presumably his daughter is being held although i'm not sure where they need this because didn't he already overthrow the president of valverde isn't that the whole reason why the old president wants to kill the new president well they know valverde is where they need to go it is pretty hilarious i mean it is a warehouse full of white guys made to look like south africans which is the theme in this movie for sure, as you see. And there's yeah. this weird like spot where like he lets in Cheech's daughter for no reason, like through the window. I, I know it's strong. But you know what? Thank goodness, because she knows she knows exactly how far the flight distance is, how far a flight it is. Again, it's so good that she's there. It, it's so important. And then they transition to one of my favorite parts of the movie is where well, they go shopping. Yeah. Before we can go, we got to go steal a bunch of stuff. Matrix somehow gets control of a bulldozer and runs it through <laughs> the front of a military surplus store surplus yeah. store and it is amazing well this is the part that makes no sense to me because okay you're gonna break into a surplus store and steal a bunch of guns and stuff okay why do you bulldoze an entire wall just break a window there's all these windows there break a window because you know what happens next is the cops come and they arrest john matrix it, because probably they're attracted by the giant sound of a bulldozer smashing through a wall when you could have just broken a window but john matrix doesn't break in through doors he breaks down walls that's who he is like come on <laughs> this is what he does he gets a whole bunch of gear that they're one going to take care of him with them and then he gets swarmed by the police and arrested and put in a police van so so the they and they're hauling him off to jail presumably but then our still unnamed flight attendant she's been in like 20 minutes of the movie at this point we have no idea who she is she pulls Lady up beside the cops tries to like sexually arouse them to stop the van it doesn't work <laughs> these guys are no, pros no. hold on she it works a little she doesn't try to sexually arouse them she just tries to get their attention and it works and and they say i think she's got something for us yeah, how is that not registering with you as sexual arousal? It 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 is. Well, I don't know if about arousal. They, he certainly got their attention. You said they didn't get their attention, and she did. Well, she, she didn't. They didn't stop the van. They kept. They keep driving. She she parks the car. She stands up and has one of those like four 
fucking cartridge rocket cartridge launchers. rocket launchers. It's yeah. a square of rockets. She launches one backwards because she has no idea what she's doing, which I actually thought was a nice touch. I'm like, I like that. She wouldn't know how to use of it. Of course she wouldn't. Which yeah. She would have blown herself up trying to use one of those in reality. Instead, she blows up a bus stop about 20 meters her. behind yeah, her. Worse. She turns it around. I fucking love this. The The police, I, I, every movie has this thing where like, you know, characters are like about to die and they see it happen. Like, what, wait, what is that? What, whoa, what's she doing? Whoa. And I was like, guys, fucking steer the van three feet to the left. You'll be fine. They just keep driving in a perfectly straight line being like, she's got a bazooka, but in no way try to alter course. It's normal to panic when somebody's holding a four shot rocket launcher at you. Like, I think that's what I would have done too. I would have driven I would that run the fuck van. away. I would have driven it straight ahead so she had a perfect shot so that it could fire <laughs> out, hit the perfect back right corner so it didn't well, blow up my, we my should, new friend John Matrix. I was going to say, we should start with this. Van. Yeah. Are, are, are you comfortable launching a fucking rocket at a van carrying the guy that you're trying to rescue isn't that going to blow up the van i mean i'm super accurate with a rocket so it'd be no problem i think i could do that without even thinking but you i like i would be worried about it yes this sarcasm brought to you by steam whistle (laughs) steam whistle pale ale which is all right actually as far as i think i was uh, enjoying the pilsner more no man this i don't i why are you launching a rocket at this i get it your your sex pot trick didn't work you tried to lure them in with like a smile and a you know a wink it saved john matrix it worked the plot continued because she managed to hit a moving target in the perfect area where it wouldn't pull up the van. Back right like tire. Oh, Flipped my God. It. The two guys in the front somehow get knocked out. John Matrix is perfectly fine. Completely because plausible. In, yeah, it's John Matrix. It's a yet another of his incredible feats of strength. He's back on the hunt. They get him back out there. They steal the plane. And now, now we get to about five to ten minutes of completely unnecessary scenes where they are just padding the runtime of this movie. You asked me this. I was going to mention this again. This is my my pet theory. <laughs> you know you know how I feel about this. I know how you feel. When you can identify unnecessary scenes, it's all about hitting that 90-minute runtime. 90 minutes is the bare cutoff for like... You have to be within spinning distance for it to even be considered a movie. Otherwise, you don't feel like you get your money's worth. It's bullshit. This should have been on TV. Why is this? Why am I paying to see this? If you can't get close to 90 minutes... It's not a movie. So movies fucking pad this shit. They put in unnecessary stuff that means nothing to try to get close that night. This movie, 90 on the dot. Dead even 90 minutes. These scenes were unnecessary. Completely. We get a scene where the general is investigating the surplus store robbery. The whole point of the scene is just for him to be like, John Matrix is a badass. Call the federal building. Have him monitor every police, aviation, and marine channel in the area. What are you expecting? World War Three. We get it. John Matrix is tough. We get a scene. It's young Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah. They're in, they've stolen the plane. They're flying the plane. Bill Paxton finds them on radar and is telling them to leave the area. They'll be shot down. So Arnold Schwarzenegger tells our unnamed flight attendant to bring them down to like the level. Because if they fly close enough to the waves, the waves will mask their 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 like signature. I don't know if that's true. Lady Cheech does this beautifully. Like She brings it right down, right near those waves, Cheech. and they can't get her it's beautiful but this scene means nothing because in five minutes they completely ignore it it's not even a thing we also get bennett recapping to the president exactly how john matrix is why he's mad at them how he's going to come for them afterwards no matter how this ends they'll come for his daughter it's bullshit this whole section is completely unnecessary yeah it's just padding 
get it out of there. It, There's no need for it. It was beautiful. I mean, by beautiful, I mean Bennett had his perfect like fat Freddie Mercury moment where he was acting like Mungo Jerry and blowing just, into a jug and just loving that. It was you, you're so into this Mungo Jerry thing. No, so they land the seaplane. They've evaded radar, which is never mentioned again, so I don't even know why he bothered. They land the seaplane. Arnold Schwarzenegger in an extremely skimpy speedo, rose himself to the island in an inflatable raft. This was amazing. Gratuitous muscle I loved it. He, he, once they land that seaplane, of course he takes all of his clothes off. So he is just wearing a speedo. And there is like this whole long shot of him rowing his back muscles, just tense. Well, even before and, yeah. rowing, he like gets all the stuff into the boat. And then he says, Oh, fucking hell is gonna break loose and he starts like rowing there with his rippling back and uh just rowing to the island but meanwhile while this has happened they uh, guys are there the plane has landed and they're looking for john matrix but instead they see the henchman getting taken out in a body bag and they know the jig is up they know john matrix is, is is either not on that plane or he's escaped so the henchmen go to get word to uh el presidente this is happening you got a problem it's awesome. Uh, we get that sort of gear up montage uh, once he hits land. Oh, like after oh he rows God. there. Yes. Beautiful gear up montage. Belts clicking together. Guns going into holsters. Grenades being attached to vests. Shotgun shells into that. Oh, oh it's, it's, it's just the, your classic gear up montage. You and also then, get the baseball black on the face and all over his body. Right? <laughs> yeah, man. The, of course. It, it's beautiful. It's and beautiful. Now, now we get into the real death count because he just starts murdering dudes. Well, before they get there, there is a quick shot of, you know, the ultimate villain chud bennett as he's like looking there and trying oh, he's, to act he out. comes he comes to well he looks for jenny he goes to find jenny jenny has escaped from the room by the way well, with she, the help of a doorknob that she pried off she has somehow managed to escape the room she's resourceful like her father oh a hundred percent so they they go he's just murdering guys it, it's it's the stereotypical every 80s movie trope where it's just the bad guys are shooting thousands of bullets. John Matrix is not getting hit even a little bit. Everything he does kills at least one bad guy, usually two. He's mowing down a whole field of bad guys. He's at, approaching at this point. Yeah, so he's approaching. We should say he's approaching the complex where Jenny was being held, yep. and where sort of the president and where Bennett are, where it's all going to climax. And there's some hilarious parts where he's well, going to say the stunt work. Oh, it is so the good. stunt work in this movie. It's good. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean by oh good. Oh, my you know. God. The, there are scenes in this where guys are... The guy who fell off the guard tower. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he This guard tower... John Matrix takes one shot up into it. Uh, for some reason, the guard's shirt seems to like fly off his it body. It explodes off his body. Yeah. And, and he just... He falls over the railing. The railing breaks. It, yeah. It's a beautiful fall. You clearly see the dummy, which oh, is God. not a real when person. He, when he starts fall. exploding stuff, yeah. uh, there are there are dummies that you can literally see being propped up by things. They're, they're standing there motionless, and you can see a stick behind them, like in the back holding up where the explosions are happening. I think that might have been the worst part of the special effects was the fact that they, anytime there was actually a dangerous scene, put in a very clearly fake person that had no movement and was never going to be harmed. It's and, full of that. It's, and, there's so many of those. And then they would put like the occasional person in the forefront who would like make a hilarious jump out of the way and do something ridiculous as they're going. Yeah, just a gymnastics routine is terrible. So we he keeps killing dudes, but a grenade actually they no one shoots him but someone throws a grenade it launches him through the air he's got a couple cuts he's a little bit dinged up so because he's a little dinged up he goes and he hides in the garden shed and this 
this was, I think, we're, so we're, we're recording. You've never seen this movie before, we don't think. Well, I've seen pieces, but I okay. have never seen this part of the movie. We're recording before. your reaction to the garden shed scene. And in the garden shed scene, he just... He looks around, he finds all the things in the garden shed, and he just starts killing dudes. So in the, in the span of about 15 seconds, we have the following. A, a pitchfork to a dude's chest, then he drops down from the roof of the garden shed. He kills two guys by frisbeeing circular saw blades, one of which, like, scalps a dude. Then he axes some guy in the dick and balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then another guy, he takes a machete and just chops the guy's arm off. This is within like 15 seconds. Your reaction to this is incredible. It's my it's my favorite part of yeah, the movie. We're going to well, we're going to play it right now. Listen to his reaction to this. Oh, yes. A pitchfork in the <laughs> He's scalping guys with fucking He's frisbee chainsaw. <laughs> oh, that was to the <laughs> d- <laughs> The garden shed's my favorite. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Fucking incredible. Like just and I don't blame you for feeling that way because this is like rapid fire kills. We're just, we're in the multiple hundreds of people dead now. Oh god, easily. John Matrix. We might be knocking on the door Interested. of like quadruple digits. And and he's about to have sort of his battle with fake tan Dan, El Presidente. Yeah, he finds him and they're just shooting at each other. Uh at one point, John Matrix is using some like regular flower pots as cover. He's lying face down on the ground behind flower pots that are like a foot tall. They're like clay flower pots. They would provide no good cover at all. Doesn't matter. El Presidente can't hit him. Of course not. Matrix is like firing back at him with an AK, but eventually he gets the kill shot with a shotgun, hits El Presidente about four times in the chest. And I love this. He just staggers back. It's the longest, most drawn out he takes about 17 steps back just to break through a window and fall to his death. It was perfect. It was the perfect 80s death scene where one person with a clearly superior weapon fighting against someone with a weaker weapon gets shot in the chest multiple times and then runs after he should have been dead. <laughs> he was moving very fast. He yeah. basically ran backwards, crashes through a window, and then does about seven flips before he hits the ground two stories below. It's amazing. But he's done. And that means there's only one man left. Yeah, who... It's Bennett. Yeah, the ultimate villain, Bennett. Fat Freddie Mercury is back. This was sort of the climax of the most dramatic part of the movie where Bennett has <laughs> Jenny, the, the dramatic part. Well, it's supposed know, to be, it it's supposed it's to be supposed dramatic. To be. The fact that like Bennett stands up to John Matrix is Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. It's, it's yeah, so yeah. upsetting. They, they get in into it. Ways, they're, yeah. they're obviously fighting. He, he finds Jenny. Bennett finds Jenny. Then he finds John Matrix, shoots him in the arms. Now Matrix is kind of... And you know what? He's kind of an arm down. Maybe that makes the fight a little more fair. And then they begin... Well, hold uh, on. Sorry. It starts as a knife fight. But hold on. The, shoot in the, arm, the shot in the arm like grazes him. For a man so who has had hurts. thousands of shots at him, this like it's the first time he's been shot all movie. Okay, well he had a thousand right. fucking guys shooting at him. This is the right. first time he's okay. been shot. So he's, we don't know how he's going to react. Human. He's human. However, he urges Bennett to quote throw away that chicken shit gun. The facial expressions when he's going through the, <laughs> the gamut of emotions. Oh my god! Should I get rid of this gun? It was ridiculous. He has a lot of emotions when he's getting taunted by it's incredible. John it's, His it's really rough. Oh my god! I don't. I what just. It's unbelievable. I can't. I cannot think of a way to describe it in words. I don't know if it's good acting or bad acting. It's uncomfortable acting. It's, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I yeah. was not good with it. <laughs> I don't think, ben, Bennett's, <laughs> Bennett's clearly working through some stuff. 
So he gets rid of the gun. It becomes a knife fight, which then eventually becomes a fist fight. And to your point, how is Bennett, who is physically, let's say, unimpressive, how is he able to hold his own here in this fight? He looks less strong than Mungo Jerry. <laughs> like if I were to say I would it. rather I'm sorry for those of you who don't know this is like the 14th Mungo Jerry we're way over <laughs> Mungo Jerry references if you're unfamiliar with Mungo Jerry please google Mungo Jerry go and, to YouTube uh, and watch in the summer in the summertime yeah, when the loving is hot yeah, yeah god damn it you're gonna make the connection you should I should have told you guys to do this like 25 minutes ago <laughs> it makes even less sense <laughs> sorry but there the, he has zero credibility and, I'm, and listen, we're going to come off sounding like like this is I don't I don't mean to body shame Bennett. This guy's not credible. He's not though. It's ridiculous. We've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger do incredible credible with Arnold. Like oh. if you made the villain someone who was similarly intimidating, like you would honestly need someone who was a star during that time in action movies. You would need a John Claude Dolph Lundgren. A Dolph Lundgren would have been the whole fine, point of Dolph Lundgren right? is for things like this. You Dolph have, Lundgren should have played yeah, Bennett. You needed someone who was physically intimidating because Bennett had a fake Austra- like Australian accent. He wasn't physically intimidating, and he wasn't a good actor. Bill Duke from Predator, the Green Beret, is tall, is a large man. He's credible. That fight was more credible than the final fight for sure. And yet the final fight goes several minutes. And at one point, Bennett is knocked into a high voltage fence, gets electrocuted, still keeps coming. He's still going. I was shouting like so badly at the television after he got up from that. And I would we we are going to hear your reaction in just a second because we get to the the apex of this oh, whole God. thing. Yeah. Where it's after all this time. fighting. John, John Matrix, who has who has legitimately had trouble dispatching Bennett. John Matrix rips a steel pipe off the wall, javelins it towards Bennett, and then the steel pipe not only passes through Bennett's rib cage in the front to puncture his body, but then also passes through his rib cage and spine in the back. <laughs> And then yep. passes through like a steel, some sort of a hot water tank or a heater. It punctures the steel. So the steel, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who minutes ago could barely fist fight a guy with a beer gut and skinny arms, <laughs> javelins a steel pipe through a dude's rib cage twice and a thing to where it has lodged inside him and steam is billowing out the front of the pipe. Let's hear your reaction to this because it is fucking incredible. Where did the Uzi come from? Did he just throw a pipe through him into the hot water tank? <laughs> and it's steaming out. That's why we're drinking. Oh my god. And you know what the best part is too? Schwarzenegger, God bless him, he puts the button on that scene. He just comes in and with a one-liner to end it all. Here it is. Let off some steam, Bennett. Are you kidding me? It was so good. That, oh that, my god. That was really good. I I it was Did, so frantic at the end there. I missed the line, and as you could hear from the clip, we had rewind to hear the line. It was worth it. It, it was and, so worth it. it. Was, there's no way that John Matrix should have been in that situation. Like he could have snapped his fingers. He should have been gone in two yeah. seconds. Now, yeah. two, you had not remembered this ending. You'd maybe seen it, maybe not. It was immediately apparent why we were drinking Steam Whistle. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. clearly that line and clearly the end there that talks about some letting off some steam that makes it appropriate. Uh, it makes for uh, all the sense in the world. And Which, for those of you who are big beer fans, we will drink more exotic stuff in the future. This just seemed to be the most appropriate thing because of the ending. 
God damn it, it is ridiculous. And I will say, we're going to rate this in a couple of seconds. My rating for this movie is so largely colored by the ending that it's not even funny. <laughs> like, I'm going to give this... Before, the before ending, we get to the yeah. ending, though, before we get to the ending, so he gets his revenge on Bennett after throwing a metal pipe through his chest. What a revenge on Bennett. Bennett well, was the one right. who wanted revenge on him. You're right. So he ends Bennett, who was causing all this trouble with his daughter. He saves his daughter, and they head out to the beach. And who's there to meet them? Oh, Radon Chong. Well, first General Kirby. Yeah. Who, I love this. God, I... And you, again, like, you didn't know... They they very much open they open the window for a brief second for a sequel. General Kirby, I wanted you to restart your unit, John. And John Matrix says this was the last time. And General Kirby says until the next time. And for a brief second, you're like, is there a Commando two? You asked me, is I there did, a Commando yeah. two? I didn't know. And then he I says, I was like, fuck, is there? I go to Google it. What does he say? And he Matrix says, shuts the door. He shuts the window closed. No, no chance. Time. Because he sees, yeah, he sees Radon Chong over there, and she's all excited to uh, to meet his daughter. The daughter has no fucking idea who she is. No, hold on. She has no idea, but she still goes over and gives her a hug and embraces her. This was a weird ending. Like, random woman he just met who flies him across the ocean and helps him save the day and save his daughter is there to hug his daughter and hug him and shepherd them away in a stolen plane i can see how he would be okay with her hugging his daughter i can even see why she would want to hug the daughter because he kind of told her like that my daughter's gonna die but the daughter has no fucking idea who she is and then it ends so we didn't really talk about the music throughout but then it ends with this sweet like rock ending right we get this sweet rock and roll we do i i will say this uh i don't i i didn't remember that song at all what i remembered from this soundtrack was the i forget the name of the composer but the steel drum steel drum heavy and then a saxophone solo there's pan flute in there it is really if you like if you if you made a a like a uh, an app or an algorithm to generate like generate an 80s soundtrack i feel like it would just throw this together that'd be all the things yeah, it was beautiful they steel drum was used like beautifully to create emotion and then there's always that sax to back it up and you then gotta have saxophone in the 80s then you've got the, to the pan flute added just that extra level of amazing right like that's, <laughs> really kind of snuck yeah. in there yeah i will say i, I was whoever i forget the name of the composer but whoever it was I was watching 48 Hours the other day with Eddie Murphy and Nick yeah. Nolte. Like 10 seconds into that movie, I heard the steel drums. I'm like, this has to be the same fucking guy as Commando. And it definitely was 110%. That's beautiful. Very we're, noticeable. Maybe we'll cut his name in later. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll if you know the name of the composer of the yeah, beautiful soundtrack. Send us a yeah. message. Send us an email at the, the BMB podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. So here we've reached the end. This is it. John Matrix has sailed off into the sunset. What a time. It's just an incredible fucking collection of 80s movie stereotypes, tropes. It's all in there. And this is why I'm like, this is a great first movie for us to do because it just encapsulates everything that this podcast is supposed to be about. Let's rate it on a scale of one to 10 for how bad the movie is in terms of acting, production value, plot holes. One to 10, what are you giving this movie? Do I have to go first? You're making this happen. I'm going to insist that you go first and then I will do the, I'll do, I'll do the how bad and how enjoyable. Okay. So yeah, that's fair. Um, I hate being put on the spot because I really haven't made up my mind yet. Um, I'll go first. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Complete reversal. Yeah. I love this. Okay. You go ahead. Okay. And I want to, again, just to be clear, I am not saying this movie is bad as in unenjoyable. I will cut. What? Whatever. How bad it is. Yeah. In terms of production, plot, casting, etc., I'm going eight. 
Okay. This is a bad movie. <laughs> there are so many things in this movie that make no sense. The Bennett faking his death. Bennett as a character existing at all. Um, Casting the, st- the, the stunt work. Fat, my God. Yeah. We never learned the flight attendant's name. So she is not even the character. It's just Lady she's just, Cheech. She's just there to she's move just things Lady along. Cheech, yeah. Some of the, again, the stunt work, incredible. Uh, I give it an eight for me. All right. One to ten. It is eight bad. How enjoyable, though? Well, no, no, no. You got to give me your bad first, and then we'll do enjoyables right. after. Okay. So for my bad, I mean, it is still Arnold at the peak of his career. He's still pulling it off with the biceps and the one-liners. He's a year out from Terminator, and you're giving Alyssa Milano. This cemented him. This cemented Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger as a credible movie I, star. I have trouble calling it that hard. Well, I bet... I'm going to give it a seven for bad. That's fair. And and it's mostly for fat Aussie Bennett and for the... But that's why... Oh, sorry. You're saying that's why it got as high as... Yeah, that's why yeah. it got as high as it did. And I also think that the stunt work was horrendous. It had actually quite enjoyable pyrotechnics, but when it came to... And sh- sound. You mentioned the sound while oh, we were watching. Yeah, I was impressed with some of the sound work too. But when it came to the showing someone die, it was always a dummy, like just getting blasted. So it's a seven. <laughs> it's like it's garbage. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's seven, seven for me on back. Okay. But how enjoyable on a scale of one to ten? And keep in mind, we've heard your reactions to come a couple of the important <laughs> scenes. How enjoyable on a scale of one to ten? I had some pretty good blow-ups. Like I feel like there were some <laughs> really good moments where I thought it was really yep. enjoyable. The montage was really big for me. The moment at the end was really funny to me. I'm gonna give it an, an eight on an enjoyable. Okay. Factor. I'm giving it an eight. For me, it's a ten. Oh wow! It is ten enjoyable. I I now to be fair, I am a huge Schwarzenegger fan, but I will ride and die with this movie every single time. It is so so enjoyable for all the reasons. I mean, my God, let off some steam, Bennett. It's absurd. <laughs> it's yeah. just great. Yeah. I guess <sighs> enjoyable for me has a rewatch factor. How many I, times have I, you watched it? Again? How many times have I watched? Commando? Yeah, how many times have you seen Commando? It's got to be ten, close to ten or more. It's so reliable. Commando is a reliable. I want something that I don't have to think too much about. I'm just gonna enjoy and laugh, and I'm gonna say the lines when Arnold says the lines, and like whatever. It's a ten for me. It's, it's a wow. ten for enjoyable. So you're approaching a baker's dozen and watching. You gave it an eighteen out of twenty. On, I did. On the it's not enough. BMB it's scale. not. It's just not bad enough for me to give it the twenty because right. it is. It's a major studio production. I guess the that's sound it for me effects too. are good. Yeah. The pyro's good. I can't do it. If it had more like laughable special effects, I think I could bump it up to a ten. There's good actors in this yeah well i, I gave it a 15, there's, there's I gave it a 15 out of out of 20 which is still a very decent score that's still 75 percent. yeah that's good right? which isn't bad i think it's that's a pretty nice score to start with and again i'm a little biased because i love schwarzenegger like he is predator is my i mentioned it predator is my favorite movie so if you if if a schwarzenegger movie is your favorite movie you're always going to lean a little bit more towards arnold for the enjoyability and that's that's where i'm at that's fair so, uh, Arnold's your favorite. How about this steam whistle? Uh, <laughs> this steam whistle is not my favorite. I like, okay, so I like the original steam whistle, the Pilsner. Very good. I drink that semi-regularly. I enjoy it every time. This uh, steam whistle premium pale ale, not my speed. Not my speed. Which is pretty funny because 
for me, the Pilsner is uh, run of the mill. Like I've been to the Steam Whistle Factory. It's a cool place. They have actually a really nice venue for weddings and events and stuff. Oh, right on the Toronto Lakeshore. Their one beer kind of made me sad. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. When you would do the tour, they would give you one of them too, and then they would charge you for extra. You pay for a tour, they give you one beer, and then charge you for more. Uh, yeah, I heard it used to be more. It did. It used to be all you could drink for the tour fee. Which, oh, yeah, which would have been fine. I would have been okay with that. Yeah, well, I can't last forever. No, I agree. This pale ale, though, is okay. Uh, as far as pale ales go, though, it's like, I don't know, uh, run of the mill, I guess. All right, uh, next week, we'll come back with something more exotic for our next offering. Yeah. One last question before we wrap this up. Yeah. Who do you think wins in a fight? John Matrix or Dutch from Predator? <laughs> Is this a fair question? I, I mean, listen, I listen. I, I completely said Dutch. I'm like, if you can beat a predator hand to hand, you can mow through the guys in except, command, no problem. Except after watching this movie, isn't John Matrix invincible? Dutch kills a predator with his bear. The predator mows through seven out of eight like special forces commanders or however many. I forget how many. I should. I John should know. Matrix gets hit by a car. He jumps out of a moving plane. He kills about. 500 fake South Americans and then beats a fat fake Australian. Dutch gets hit by a predator and then beats a predator. I think it's him. It has to be him, I feel. I'm taking John Matrix. That is fucking absurd and <laughs> we are going to fight about this later. The answer is Dutch. Dutch beats a predator in a predator's natural environment in the woods. The predator has fucking uh, infrared vision. He still beats him. This is horseshit. To be continued, thank yeah, you for listening to Bad Movies and Beer, a podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the BMB Podcast. Please feel free to send us uh, messages, suggestions, requests for movies that you would like us to review at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to you listening next time. And this is Nolan and, and Cooper. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Beautiful. If there's a mission that no man could survive, then he's the man for the job.